get right into it. On Helltown, Ohio, which actually lives up to its name. Now, for starters, an abandoned city in Ohio's Cuyahoga Valley that fuels local urban legends about a chemical spill and murderous Satanists. Welcome to Helltown. In the Cuyahoga Valley in Ohio, there is an eerily deserted place known as Helltown. Unlike the ghost towns of the West, this Midwestern area is particularly unique because it doesn't look all that old. Although some buildings bear the features of early America, the rest are distinctly 20th century. The clear, no trespassing signs posted throughout the town are certainly modern and official. There's not a soul to be found in this place, but there are still remnants of the lives the former residents left behind, including an abandoned school bus. The town is surrounded by a dangerous road and many roads that seemingly lead to nowhere, but it is the church that seems to have inspired its ominous name. The white building in the center of Helltown is emblazoned with the upside-down cross. The locals all have their theories. Some say the church was a place of worship for the Satanists who populated Helltown, some of whom say they still lurk around the closed-off roads, hoping to ensnare unwitting visitors. Others say the town was evacuated by the government after a toxic chemical spill that resulted in a bizarre mutations of the local residents and animals, with the most deadly being the Peninsula Python, a snake that grew to enormous size and still slithers near the abandoned town. Even the old school bus is the center of a dark legend. Supposedly the children in it were carried and were slaughtered by an insane killer or in some versions of the story by a group of Satanists. The superstitious claim that if you peer through the vehicle's windows, you can see either the ghosts of the killer or his victims still sitting inside. Helltown, Ohio is in fact an abandoned town formerly known as Boston, whose deserted buildings provide plenty of fodder for creepy photos, or at least they did until they were all torn down in 2016. While what really happened in the town's residence is quite disturbing in its own way, most of the urban legends have rather mundane explanations. The church does in fact bear upside down crosses, but these are a fairly common feature of the Gothic revival style in which it was constructed. Ghost hunters may have actually gotten a terrifying glimpse of a man or children inside the old school bus. However, they were not the spirits of murder victims forever trapped in limbo, but rather a man and his family who temporarily lived there while their house was being renovated. There is still some local debate about whether the chemical spill actually happened, but the lack of hard proof regarding the Peninsula Python has not stopped locals from celebrating Python Day. Even Helltown's spooky name is a result of, rather than the source of all these urban legends, Helltown is actually just a nickname for part of Boston Township in Summit County, Ohio. The residents of the area were indeed forced to abandon their homes by the federal government, but not because of a chemical spill or supernatural cover-up. With national concerns about the deforestation and full swing, in 1974, President Gerald Ford approved legislation that allowed the National Park Services the power to expropriate land, theoretically to preserve forests. 
While the idea behind the bill may have been good intentions, it was bad news for residents living in areas designated by the National Park Service for new parks areas. The area that is now dubbed Helltown was earmarked for the new Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and the people living there had no choice but to sell their properties to the government under eminent domain. One disgruntled mover scrawled his own gloomy epithet on the wall. Now we know how the Indians felt. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Hey, welcome back. Now I'm moving on to the next topic at hand something that we're all more than familiar with that has been a part of UFO lore for almost 70 years, if not a little over. It happened in 1947. Now, July 8th was the 75th anniversary of the world's most famous UFO case that just won't go away, the Roswell incident. 75 years ago, a mysterious discovery on a United States ranch land triggered the world's most famous UFO or unidentified flying object case known to man. On July 8, 1947, a UFO in the city of Roswell, New Mexico, ran a story about a United States military confirming debris about a crashed flying disc or flying saucer or bogey, even a Foo Fighter. You can call it one or the other. It had been found in the area weeks earlier. Despite a statement from the U.S. Air Force the next day that the wreckage composed of metallic-looking objects, including rubber strips, tinfoil, and sticks, which was made from a weather balloon, allegedly, the events had captured global attention. Former NASA chief historian Roger Lantinios told Nine News the flying saucer report was initially put out by the U.S. military for expediency. Apparently, it was better from the United States Air Force's perspective that there was a crashed alien spacecraft out there than to tell the truth, he said. But it triggered a media frenzy. Officials in Roswell were inundated by journalists. The red herring was an attempt to divert the public gaze from the U.S. military top-secret project Mogul involving high-altitude reconnaissance balloons, much larger than a conventional weather balloon. A typical mogul balloon was twice as tall as the Statue of Liberty. They were developed by the U.S. to spy on Soviet Russia's atomic bomb program, allegedly. A flying saucer was easier to admit than Project Mogul, Linau said. In 1947, at the early stages of the Cold War, Truth was not a priority for the United States government, he said. But 
If the military hoped to dispel interest in Roswell with its insistence, a balloon had crashed, supported in an official 1948 report. It reignited decades later. We get to the late 1970s and early 1980s, and that period saw a real spike in extraterrestrial interest, from movies to books and other things, Lenau said. Among the most outlandish claims was a film released in 1995, apparently showing autopsies of alien bodies recovered at Roswell and moved to the Pentagon's top-secret Area 51 site in Nevada. That was later proved to be a fake. After two years later, former U.S. Army Public Affairs Officer Walter Hott said at the Roswell incident in 1947, we had in our possession a flying saucer. Lenau says claims such as these resulted in the Roswell incident getting better with time. It also spawned books and films, television shows, such as The X-Files, determined to squash the frenzy. The U.S. Air Force released an exhaustive report in 1994 titled The Roswell Report, Case Closed. But despite the document offering numerous explanations to the claims of UFO conspiracy theories, including that the reported bodies of crash were actual crash dummies used in balloon testing, rumors of a cover-up continued. The city of Roswell, meanwhile, cashed in on its fame and continues to today. It now is home to a UFO museum, remains a major destination for alien enthusiasts looking for more evidence of their beliefs. Others, such as Lanaus, insists UFO sightings can be judged on the evidence at hand. There's simply unidentified things you see in the sky. We've all probably seen them. That doesn't make us crazy, he said. And if you look long enough, you'll probably eventually figure out what it is you're looking at. It's not extraterrestrials. Well, not all the time. But he also concedes public interest in Roswell will not go away anytime soon. We'll still be talking about it 25 years from now. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Oh, how nice. You've returned for more. I have the real story behind the myth of Area 51. There might not be aliens in America's favorite famous top-secret military base, but what is there is just as interesting. For decades, Nevada's Area 51 Air Force facility has represented the eye of a conspiratorial hurricane that swirls around the evidence that aliens and their technology exist and are hiding behind the walls, books, TV shows, and even massive online raids. 
have tried to glimpse beyond its stark signs warning against trespassers, who could be shot on sight. While aliens aren't taking up residence in the compound, what is going on there is just as interesting. In the middle of the barren Nevada desert, there's a dusty unmarked road that leads to the front gate of Area 51. It's protected by little more than a chain-link fence, a boom gate, and intimidating trespassing signs. One would think that America's most mythicized top-secret military base would be under closer guard, but make no mistake, they are indeed watching. Beyond the gate, cameras see every angle. On the distant hilltop, there's a white pickup truck with a tented windshield peering down on everything below. Locals say the base knows every desert, tortoise, and jackrabbit that hops the fence. Others claim that there are embedded sensors on the approaching road. What exactly goes on inside of Area 51 has led to decades of widespread speculation. There are, of course, the alien conspiracies that galactic visitors are tucked away somewhere inside. One of the more colorful rumors insists that the infamous 1947 Roswell crash was actually a Soviet aircraft piloted by mutated midgets, and the wreckage remains on the grounds of Area 51. Some even believe that the U.S. government filmed the 1969 moon landing in one of the base's hangars. For all of the myths and legends, what's true is that Area 51 is indeed very real, and still very active. There may not be aliens or a moon landing movie set inside those fences, but something is in fact going on. And only a select few are privy to what's happening further down that closely monitored, windswept Nevada road. The forbidden aspect of Area 51 is what makes people want to know what's there, says aerospace historian and author Peter Merlin, who's been researching Area 51 for more than three decades. And there sure is still a lot going on there. The origins of the mystery. The beginning of Area 51 is directly related to the development of the U-2 reconnaissance aircraft. After World War II, the Soviet Union lowered the Iron Curtain around themselves and the rest of the Eastern Bloc, creating a near-intelligence blackout to the rest of the world. When the Soviets backed North Korea's invasion of South Korea in June 1950, it became increasingly clear that the Kremlin would aggressively expand its influence. America worried about the USSR's technology, intentions, and ability to launch a surprise attack. Only a decade removed from the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. In the early 1950s, the U.S. Navy and U.S. Air Force sent low-flying aircraft on reconnaissance missions over the USSR, but they were at constant risk of being shot down. In November 1954, President Eisenhower approved the secret development of a high-altitude reconnaissance aircraft called the U-2 program. One of the first orders of business was to track down a remote covert location for training and testing. They found this in the southern Nevada desert near a salt flat known as Groom Lake, which had once been a World War II aerial gunnery range for Army Air Corps pilots. Known by its map designation as Area 51, this middle-of-nowhere site became a new top-secret military base. To convince workers to come, 
Kelly Johnson, one of the leading engineers in the U2 project, gave it a more enticing name, Paradise Ranch. People like Bob Lazar and Whitley Strieber can definitely feel vindicated considering Bob Lazar's involvement in projects at Area 51. He was at a higher security clearance than most people who have come out of that and retired from it and have spoken openly about Area 51. There are things that he saw and projects he worked on that are so above top secret that not even most presidents who have gone in and out of office have ever heard of them. And Bob Lazar was sorely discredited and dragged through the coals after he came forward and talked openly about his time at Area 51, how he got in, what he saw, what he did, what he worked on. And it wasn't until two years ago when the Pentagon finally confirmed, yes, UFOs are real. We've been watching them for decades. We don't know where they come from. We don't know why they're here. And we don't know where they are going. And no country has ownership over these flying, unidentified craft. But they acknowledged, finally, that it does indeed happen. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. America Sings was located in the rotating theater that had previously housed the Carousel of Progress. On the evening of July 8th, Stone was caught between the rotating theater wall and the stationary stage wall and died as a result. A safety light was subsequently put in, which warned the attraction's operator when people got too close to this dangerous area. Additionally, the stationary walls were later replaced with breakaway ones. The building recently housed Innovations and Superhero HQ, although those attractions closed in 2016, as if often the case when senseless tragedies occur, one of the ways that people have coped with this upsetting loss is by creating a ghost story for it. In this case, Debbie Stone has become sort of a guardian angel. It's said that the cast members working on the attraction, which was open until 1988, used to hear a voice warning them, be careful if they got too close to the walls. Number six, George. I am fairly confident that George, who allegedly haunts the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Walt Disney World, is an urban legend. Rather than an actual ghost, the hallmarks of a good yarn all there. Conflicting versions of what happened to him. Things that allegedly happen if you do or do not do certain things while riding this ride. And so on and so forth. Either way, his legend seems to be a surprisingly friendly one. So let's take a look. It's said that when the Florida version of Pirates of the Caribbean was under construction, a welder named George was killed in an accident. Exactly what that accident was uh, has varied depending on who you talk to. According to some, he was crushed by a falling beam, while according to others, he fell from the Burning City portion of the ride and died as a result. Ever since then, the ride has allegedly been plagued by strange occurrences, and whenever George is disrespected, things happen. Really, though, that's all George seems to be after, is respect. 
He's said to stop the ride whenever someone says, I don't believe in George. So presumably, if you don't question his existence while you're actually riding Pirates of the Caribbean, you should be fine. Additionally, the rumor persists that cast members in charge of opening the ride for the day or closing it up at night say good morning or good night to George at that appropriate time uh, to keep him appeased. As long as you do that, he's apparently happy. The reality, though, is that George probably didn't exist. Uh, you know what did really happen, though? Real bones were once used as props on the California version of the ride. According to Atlas Obscura, the fake skeletons available when the ride was first opened were deemed to not be realistic enough. So the Imagineers working on the ride got some real ones from the UCLA Medical Center. These eventually were replaced with fake bones. But still. Number seven, Mr. One-Way. Like George, Mr. One-Way is almost certainly an urban legend. One of the most passed around ghost stories clinging to the Disney parks. It's also the one with the most variations. The one thing that most versions do agree upon is exactly what he haunts and where. Space Mountain at the Disneyland in California. Some accounts describe Mr. One-Way as a red-haired man with a red face. Others say he is a kid dressed in 70s-era clothing. The stories say he tends to hang out in the QE for Space Mountain, although whether or not he talks to people while waiting varies depending on who you ask. The red-haired man apparently does not, but the boy does, although it's worth noting that the kid version of Mr. One-Way doesn't have any knowledge of the changes made to the park since the 70s. According to some video footage I found, Though, Mr. One-Way doesn't wait to uh, in the QE at all. He appears only at the actual ride, approaching them from the opposite side of the waiting area, the side of which people are supposed to exit the ride and sitting down in an empty seat that he can find. It's said he disappears right before you hit the final tunnel at the end of the ride. For what it's worth, the second ghost dubbed Disco Debbie is also said to haunt Space Mountain, although her story is even weirder. She apparently glows in the dark. Number eight, the monorail ghost. The monorail has something in common with Dolly and Debbie Stone. His story stems from a real incident that occurred in 1966. A 19-year-old man named Thomas Guy Cleveland tried to sneak into Disneyland in Anaheim by scaling the park's outer fence and climbing across the monorail track. He was struck and killed by an oncoming tram. These days, it's said that a spectral figure can sometimes be spotted prowling around the monorail track. He apparently only appears at night, and he vanishes whenever a tram comes. Consider this one a cautionary tale. Number nine, whatever the heck this is, load up a video and cue it up to about the 310 minute mark you'll see some CCTV footage of something odd wandering around Disneyland what's super weird is that whatever it is multiple cameras recorded it I don't really know what or who it is some folks think it might be Walt although it's I've heard stories that Roy O. Disney Walt's younger brother might haunt the park as well or, you know, maybe it's just a trick of light or something. Anyway, this video is available on YouTube. 
It's a Disney surveillance video. It's a Wow So Amazed on YouTube. At the end of the day, these stories are all just that, stories. But there's kind of a magic in ghost stories, and given that Disney is meant to be the most magical place on Earth, well, it all kind of makes sense then, doesn't it? Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. If you believe in ghosts and spirits, then it's probably not shocking to you that there are a lot of haunted restaurants throughout the United States. Most are really old buildings with a lot of creepy history, but others have actually been the site of strange disappearances and suspicious activity. Some even have spooky ghost stories attached to them. You can visit these haunted restaurants all year long, of course, but they become extra special in the days leading up to which is right around the corner, Halloween. When you're in the mood for a bit of a scare, plus, at the same time, you get to eat some really good food. It doesn't get much better. I can start this off with Muriel's in New Orleans, Louisiana. Muriel's is one of the most famously haunted restaurants in the country, located in just as famously haunted New Orleans. The restaurant was founded back in 1718 and has a lot of history. There's one table there that is left unavailable, but every night it gets set with tableware, bread, and wine. It's for the previous owner of Muriel's, Pierre-Antoinette Lepardi Jordan, a ghost with a standing reservation. Spooky, I know. He died on the second floor of the place back in 1814 after losing a poker game. And according to Muriel's, there have been a lot of paranormal sightings at the restaurant ever since. Scarlett O'Hara's in St. Augustine, Florida. Scarlett O'Hara is listed in the National Directory of Haunted Places. Supposedly, it's haunted by the man who built the house. Now, restaurant, of course, back in 1879. As the story goes, George Collie drowned in a bathtub there after his fiancée left him for another man. The second floor, where he passed away, is home to the ghost bar, which he is said to haunt. Pugin's Porch in Charleston, South Carolina. Another famously haunted spot in Pugin's Porch in Charleston, a South Carolina city full of ghosts and spirits. Legend has it that the original Victorian home was built in 1888, and the owner had a dog named Pugin. When they moved out, they left Pugin behind, and he is rumored to still run around the restaurant as a canine ghost to this day. But there are other creepy ghosts too, like Zoe St. Armand, who owned the house in the early 1900s and went crazy 
after her sister died. She fell down the stairs in the home and has haunted the place ever since, searching for her sister's soul. White Horse Tavern and Newport, Rhode Island. It's not surprising that White Horse Tavern is haunted. It's the oldest tavern in America. The story is that two men showed up at the tavern in the 1720s looking for a room. The next day, one was found dead by the fireplace and the other one was gone. Now people say there is a resident ghost by the fireplace. Limp Mansion Restaurant and Inn in St. Louis, Missouri. The Limp Mansion Restaurant and Inn offers ghost tours to play up their spooky history. The old Victorian mansion has been a popular destination for paranormal investigators and ghost hunters. There have been talk of weird voices and figures, and there really is no known explanation for who or what is haunting this place. Even though the Lemp Mansion has left dinner, diners feeling kind of creeped out, it's still a really popular spot in St. Louis. Brennan's Restaurant and oh, another one in New Orleans, Louisiana. Another famously haunted spot in New Orleans is Brennan's Restaurant. It's haunted by the ghost of Chef Paul Blanger, who died in 1977, but stuck around in the kitchen. He was actually buried where the restaurant's menu and knife and fork across his chest. So it's not shocking that he never wanted to leave. There's also a ghost in the wine cellar of a sommelier named Herman Funk, who regularly clinks bottles. Succotash in Kansas City, Missouri. Succotash is a popular brunch spot right now, but it was once a saloon called Dutch Hill Bar and Grill dating back 100 years. An old regular still haunts the bar and leaves the smell of cigars lingering. His name was Radar, and he had always sat at the bar with a cocktail in his hand. Stone's Public House in Ashland, Massachusetts. I came close to stopping at this one myself when I was in uh, Salem and Boston touring the state. Stone's Public House has a pretty grisly history. The name is named after John Stone, the original owner. According to the story, Stone supposedly killed a boarder who won a big card game there in 1845, then buried him in the basement. He made a few witnesses help him and swore them to secrecy. Now all of them haunt the bar, making a little bit of a mess and some noise from time to time. Beardsley Castle in Little Falls, New York. As beautiful as Beardsley Castle is, it does kind of look haunted. Located in the Mohawk Valley, it's been featured on the TV show Ghost Hunters because of all of the weird ghost hunters activity and things that go on there. The show Ghost Hunters said that they had spotted spirits there, and there are a few spooky stories associated with this place. But one is about Native Americans who were killed on the property back in the 1700s. Another is about the former owner who passed away there and really never left. Moon River Brewing Company in Savannah, Georgia. This is the next one. Savannah is known for being full of history and spirits. And Moon River Brewing Company is one of the most haunted spots in the city. Today it's a bar and restaurant, but back in 1821, it was a hotel, the hospital for victims of the Civil War. There are lots of scary stories about bad energy there. And many guests have said that they've seen a woman in period clothing on the staircase. 
Moon River is now a regular spot for ghost tours. The Whitney in Detroit, Michigan. The Whitney was built in 1893 as a private home and wasn't made into a restaurant until 1987. It's a huge mansion and it has a lot of history. There's even a spot upstairs called the Ghost Bar where you can get cocktails like the Witching Hour. Guests and employees have said that the elevator moves on its own and there's a crying woman in one of the ladies' bathrooms and apparitions have been spotted in photos from time to time. One if lot by land, two if by sea in New York, New York. Now I had the pleasure of going into this one. I didn't have a reservation, but I did step in, look around, talk to some people and uh, left because really there's nothing else to do after you talk to so many people they want you to leave if you don't have a reservation one of them by land two if by sea is a notable haunted restaurant because it's said to be haunted by the ghost of aaron burr the man who murdered alexander hamilton apparently the restaurant used to be his carriage house and many believe that he his spirit still resides there along with his daughter theodosa they are said to creep around, knocking things over, and freaking out guests. Old Town Pizza and Brewing in Portland, Oregon. Founded in 1974, Old Town Pizza and Brewing truly is old. It's the lobby of the Merchant Hotel, which is one of the longest-standing buildings in Portland. It's haunted by a ghost named Nina, who has been there for over a century and is usually wearing a black dress, hanging out the basement, or even standing near guests as they eat. Supposedly, Nina was killed and left in the elevator shaft on the premises. The ghost of the place even serves a ghost pie. The Twisted Vine in Derby, Connecticut. The Twisted Vine is a building that has been around since the late 1800s. It was once the Birmingham National Bank and was made into a restaurant in the late 1970s. Employees and guests have seen pretty weird paranormal activity like lights flashing on and off and furniture moving around on its own. They even have a weekly paranormal tour, so they are embracing the overall spiritual vibe. Please hold for an important message from one of our sponsors. Thank you for listening to Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. That's it for this week. Have a great 4th of July weekend and a terrific rest of the week. The weekend's already over with, so it's the beginning of the week, but have a good 4th of July. <laughs>